Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Christmas, we are celebrating the fact that God became a man. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, every time after the last 45 years of being a Christian, every time I try to think about that, all the circuits in my brain just fizzle out. What does it mean for God to cross the infinite gap from heaven to earth, from eternity to finitude, from deity to humanity to become one of us? I mean, no wonder we celebrate Christmas. But here's another question. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why would God go to that extent to cross that infinite gap to be with us. That's pretty incredible. And that's what I want to talk to you about, the why of Christmas. And I'm calling it the lost present, just to interest you a little bit. Because some of you have heard Christmas stories for 45, 50 years. Someone said to me once, are you going to teach on something different this year? And I thought, no, I think I'm going to stick with Christmas. But here's a question. Have you ever opened up all of your presents to realize that there's one missing? How many of you have done that? Come on. I think many of us have where you just, you're counting up, okay, I got him this, 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 or I got her that, 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 and where is that other thing? Where did I hide it? Uh, Remember Lampoon's Christmas. He finds a present from a previous Mother's Day up in the attic. Uh, for his wife. So what did I do with the lost present? And so you look under the tree, and you race back to the back room, and you look under the bed, and you're wondering, where did I put this present? Well, you can imagine yourself doing that. Now that you have that in your mind, I want you to imagine God himself looking for the lost present. As excited as a child would be, God himself is looking for the lost present. Well, Jesus tells us three parables that, believe it or not, depict God and the reason for Christmas coming, God coming to find the lost present. The three parables, some of you already know. One of them is the good shepherd that leaves the 99 to find the lost sheep. One of them is the woman who loses a coin. She's got 10, but she loses one. And then the third is the story of the prodigal son. And in those three stories that Jesus gives us, those stories contain the reason for Christmas. So let's consider them one by one. In Luke 15, 3, it says, Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go out after the lost sheep until he finds it? Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. 
Then after those two, he tells the story of the prodigal son. Here's the first thing that these stories strike me, is that Jesus looks everywhere where other people would never look. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out yet, you are the lost present. Yeah, that's the way the story goes. And that's the reason for Christmas. Yes, God's the present to us in the person of Jesus, but the other way around is that you are the lost present that he's come to look for. And, and the striking thing is all the different places that Jesus looks for you. Now, here's the context. In Luke 15, 1, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Don't you love that word? Muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the Pharisees, these religious self-righteous leaders, had prejudged people to be excluded from God's love. I think it's a dangerous thing when my judgment and my word are out of step with what God wants. Henry James said, let no man think that he knows another man's heart. But these self-righteous leaders had judged what were called tax collectors and sinners. If you don't know what tax collector is, a tax collector, you guessed it, <laughs> the IRS. Only this is a tax collector that's in cahoots with the Roman government, and the way they make their money is to surcharge you an extra tax on your tax. And they, it was arbitrary. And they showed up to your door. You didn't mail uh, your, your returns in April. They showed up at your door once a year with a Roman centurion, and whatever they wanted to charge you, you had to pay exorbitant cost, extortion, but it was legal. And the Jews in the, in the region despised tax collectors. And sinners was kind of a global word, people that didn't go to synagogue as much as they should go, to every, everything that lived, people who lived the nightlife, and everyone in between. They were not good church-going people. They were not regulars, and Jesus finds himself with them. So controversy, and the point of the story is this is where Jesus is looking for the lost present. He's not looking in church always. He's out in the darker parts of the world looking for you, and it may not be where you picture yourself, but some of us identify with that, and we realize in the words of Dumb and Dumber, you're telling me there is a chance for me that God would be looking for me. Because perhaps maybe I'm not the regular churchgoer. I'm not the guy that sees myself as someone that would be a follower of God. But Jesus sees you as someone he would like to be friends. So he tells us these three stories to counter the mutterers. And one is a shepherd. And this shepherd goes out and looks everywhere. And you and I got to believe. We can only imagine in our minds 
uh, crevices, gullies, behind bushes, even seeing if some kind of mountain lion or someone has gotten to this lamb or sheep. And then there's the woman who's searching for the lost coin. And then, as you know, there's the father of the prodigal son who we read has lived his decadent life and is now at the end of his money feeding pigs. That's what his life has come to. So Jesus' point is that God is searching for you and for me, not on your best Sunday moment, but in your worst moment. He still wants you. And doesn't that feel good? It feels so good to know, of course, he sees everything, and he sees the darker side of you and me, but he's there with the publicans and sinners, even though there's controversy about that, and God is searching for this lost present, you. One Christmas, uh, we actually threw out something. I can't even remember, you know, it's been quite a few Christmases when you get to be my age, and uh, I think it was maybe a check that we had lost in the wrapping paper and everything else. And, uh, and you know, we had family over and everyone grabbed the wrapping paper and just threw it away and everyone took it out to the trash bin and, and then we realized the check is missing. And uh, not me, because I'm not that great, but my wife is amazing. And she sweeps the whole house. She's searching for the check. And I think around 2 a.m., outside with these big gray dumpsters turned over uh, in our driveway searching for what she was looking for with a flashlight, I hear the voice, found it! (laughs) An unlikely place to be looking for something so valuable, but that's how God views you, as valuable to him, and that's the why of Christmas but also coupled in this story. Are you still there? Okay. Coupled in this story is not just where he looks, but how earnestly God looks for you. Jesus says in the parable of the sheep, he says, does he not leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Listen to what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus is no worse than an ordinary shepherd. Why wouldn't Jesus hang out with publicans and sinners? Uh, He's searching, and it's exactly what an ordinary shepherd would do if he lost his sheep. The moralist would say, you know, you gotta be faithful to the 99, forget about the one. Or you need to be grateful for the 99, forget about the one. There's always those people that speak into your life with moralisms. But you, as the shepherd, you think, no, this is my sheep. This sheep in those days is valued at $250,000. I don't know what it is today. Like, I got to get this sheep. And the shepherd goes out looking. So Jesus is saying he's that earnest about finding you and me. And the woman is the same way. It says, does she not light a lamp? That's a lot of work in those days. Not, not hard for you. Flip a switch. But where did I put my lamp, my little oil lamp? And then where is the flint 
that I use to light the oil lamp. And does the lamp have oil in it? Got to refill the lamp and now use the flint. And usually on the ninth strike, I get the wick to light and now it's lit. And now I can begin to search for the silver coin. Again, the moralist would say, hey, you got nine. Just be grateful. But she says, no, that's one-tenth of my entire savings that I have lost. Some of you have seen pictures of women in the Middle East that wear coins, silver coins, across the front of them. That is not a statement like you and I wearing diamonds. That is their savings account. Their entire savings account is right there, stapled to their headdress. And so she's lost just one of them, and she's desperate. So she looks everywhere. And there would be those that probably are like Pharisees that say, well, you should have, been, you should have made sure those coins were tied on better. You ought to be careful about losing. I know, but I lost it. So she searches until she finds it. And then comes the prodigal son. And you know how the father, in the story there, the father is looking out from his ranch house to see when his son might be coming back down the road and finally sees him and takes off running for his son because his son was, in his mind, dead, but now he's alive. So looking, searching with intensity for you. Is that how you view God wanting you? With that kind of earnestness. I was reading not too many years ago about uh, a war hero. This is back under President Clinton when we were flying uh, planes, F-15s, over Bosnia. And we lost a man, and you know the story of that. In fact, it was made into a movie called Behind Enemy Lines, where Captain Scott O'Grady had to eject, and he, for five or six days, was dodging the enemy, hiding and sending out signals. And finally, from the ship, uh, the Marines send out a search party for him, knowing that they themselves could be shot down. But listen to the story. The, the colonel on the ship who's heading up the whole operation, he decides to go with one of the helicopters because he said, I know what it's like. I'm the only man here that was in a previous war and I know what it's like to be shot at by the enemy. And I'm afraid you guys are going to be rattled, but I'm going to risk my life to go in to find this man. And I thought, wow. Of course, he, he, he was decorated. He is a war hero. They, uh, they all came back safely to the ship. But I thought, that's not only the motto of the military, leave no one behind. It's the motto of God. God is searching for you. The final thing that's in these parables is the way God celebrates. And this is going to get you because many of us, particularly if I can pick on Christians for a moment, 
that oftentimes we don't see God as a celebratory God, let alone someone who hasn't given their heart and life to Christ. How does God react when you finally come home and admit that you're the lost present and you surrender to God? Is God looking at you, tapping his foot? Maybe his arms are crossed. Maybe there's a little swagger to his head. And he's saying, where have you been? I suppose you think you can just stroll right back into heaven now after you've lived lived your decadent life of sin and you've just been doing your own obstinate thing and you think that, is that God? (laughs) I've met a lot of people that have a view of God that way. But Jesus tells us, and he actually gives us the emotion of God. Did you know God has emotion? Why do we, being made in God's image, think that we are somehow better than him, and we have emotion, but he doesn't? And I understand emotions can be dangerous, but they can also be wonderful. And so Jesus tells us, about the shepherd when he finds the sheep. In verse five, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he calls his friends and neighbors, rejoice with me in the same way. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. And then the woman, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. But finally, the prodigal son. And here we read, while he was still a far way off, the father saw him and was filled with empathy or compassion, not judgment, not scolding, not arms crossed, not foot tapping, but he runs to his son and he throws his arms around him and he kisses his son. And the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found, so he began to celebrate. Listen, friends, we know how to celebrate. Some of us, not so greatly. All we know is tailgate parties. When we used to have a football team. <laughs> Whoopee, we, that was our moment of celebration. Some of us are a little bit bigger. We know what birthday parties are like. And some of us are a little bit bigger. We know what Christmas parties are like. And some of us are a little bit more. We know what wedding celebrations are like. But regardless, you don't know what celebration in the Middle East is like. I was once living for an entire week in the town of Nazareth where Jesus grew up, not 2,000 years ago. And outside my window, there was a blazing wedding party going on. And it went till 4 a.m. in the morning. Boom, 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 boom. And very hard to sleep. The next night, it was the, the same thing. And I said, oh my gosh, this place has a wedding every night. 
Lo and behold, on the fifth night, I found out it's the same wedding. This is a week-long celebration. In the Middle East, they know how to celebrate way more than you or I. And Jesus is using that culture to speak to us about the celebration of God, how God feels about you, the lost present. So you and I, we find the lost present under the bed or behind the tree, and we're thrilled. We're like, oh my gosh, I found it, here it is. The Bible is giving us, through the words of Jesus, three stories to say, that's how God feels about finding you. So you see, Christmas has this strange twist to it. Jesus is God's gift to you and me. He is the present, and that's why we're here. We're celebrating God becoming man, the incarnation, born in Bethlehem. But the, the twist of it is, why did he come? He came to find the lost present, which is you and me. The Bible says, for God so loved, that's why he came. He loves you in such a way that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Christmas is a, a story about God coming and searching for you and me. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you this day for your love for us. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the phenomenal story of you becoming one of us to find us. And we thank you, Lord, at least some of us, we thank you that you looked in the darker places to find us, places of shame, places of guilt, places of loneliness, of despair, and yet you loved us. And we thank you, God, that when you found us, your heart is filled with joy. This morning, this afternoon, this noon, while we're praying, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, this Christmas Eve may be the very day that it all clicks in your mind to realize, oh my gosh, it's so simple. It's right there in front of me. God came to find me. And I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to this great God who loves you. So in the privacy of this moment, I'm going to just ask, if you want to surrender your heart and life to Jesus, to raise your hand where you are. While the rest are praying, while our heads are bowed, just raise your hand, and you, in so doing, are surrendering your life to Jesus, making this the first step in your journey uh, to follow him. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Back here to my left. Straight ahead. Thank you. God bless you. This is for you. Yes, God bless you. This is for you. Thank you. Deciding. Yes, God bless you. Deciding to make Jesus your present 
because he considers you his present. If you raise your hand, please pray this prayer quietly as I pray it out loud. Lord, today I begin my journey of following you. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying on a cross for me and forgiving me. And thank you for going where no one else would go to find me. I give my life to you in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.